All right, guys, we might have to change our name from Submission Radio to Meth Radio because I've still got the shakes after an incredible UFC 266, 266 card. I can't even say it straight. I don't know what we just witnessed. Luke Thomas, you're here to help us break it down. We appreciate you joining us. Man, uh, how are you feeling? I know you just did the incredible live chat, but just describe in words to kick this off. How are you feeling after seeing the incredible incredible battle that we just saw between Brian Ortega and Alex Volkanovsky? The purge didn't work. No, it didn't. Uh, but to answer your question, I feel I feel fortunate. Uh, is usually what I feel after events like this, where um, you know they they put Nick Diaz on the card, who was a legitimate draw. But this card wasn't like the biggest card of the year by the UFC standards. And one sort of one thing I always say is, um, you know, being a hardcore hardcore MMA fan is its own reward. And by that I mean casuals are going to skip. They probably checked in for Nick, but how many of them just sort of walked out of the bar after Nick was done fighting or tuned off or whatever? Like. You know, seeing Volkanovski do that is not just impressive for what he was able to accomplish, but it's the reward for being a hardcore fan. Like those kinds of things are on your radar and you get to see MMA in a way that a lot of other casuals don't. Um, But in terms of the specifics of the fight itself, dude, Volkanovski, I mean, you know, you and I and most of your viewers, certainly from um, down under and, and, and New Zealand, have probably had a pretty healthy respect for Volkanovski. I think the rest of the world got a bit of a wake up call. That uh, if they were slacking on their Volkanovsky respect, perhaps because they felt that the scoring in either the first or the second or both of the Max Holloway fights unfairly um, or unfairly favored him, you know, it's time to get off of that. You can let you can hold on to that grudge, but it's time to stop letting that affect the judgment of how people view Volkanovsky. He is an incredibly special fighter, and it's going to take in a special special fighter on a special night to beat him. 100%. I think this was the defining fight that he needed. People talk about star-making performances. It's not necessarily star-making performances, but when you look at certain fights, like when people think Anderson Silva, they think the front kick. Like when you think of one moment that stands out, and Volko just didn't have that. He had these great wins, great fighters on his resume, but it's harder to appreciate a close fight or a decision win or like, oh, you know, the stats were really good and you know, he outstruck <laughs> this guy. He beat Aldo, beat Holloway twice but it's so easy to appreciate when you got brian ortega taking you straight into t-city he's one of the only men well i think the only man to walk out of t uh t-city and then come back and he was the sheriff he dominated him on the ground where brian is best uh, i feel like this is the defining moment for, for volker where people can go all right i wasn't sure about him but man the way he got out of those submission attempts you have to respect that the heart um just the able to the ability to push through what do you think was sort of the most impressive part that you saw throughout the fight between volker and ortega uh, the new wrinkles are impressive in the sense that they're new and we got to see them. Um, but I don't know that they're more impressive than what we already knew. Let me say one thing, though. I mean, just think about this for a second. And people are going to quibble with some of the scoring. But but here are what the facts are. The facts are that among Jose Aldo, Max Holloway, and Brian Ortega, they have had collectively, the three of them, 18 rounds to try to beat Volkanovski, and they couldn't do it. I mean, you just, I, I'm sorry, like, and he, and he put a beating on uh, on the last of them. He didn't put a beating on Aldo, and obviously the Max fights are very close, but he put a beating on on um, Ortega tonight. Like, that is just, that's an absurd, absurd sort of fact and figure. Uh, but you're asking what was most impressive. Dude, to me, what's most impressive is this orientation that he has that, I, I like, okay, you were saying that Volkanovski doesn't have those punctuated moments. He doesn't have 
that front kick to the face on Vitor Belfort that Anderson has. This like crystallizing mm. moment where everybody realizes, oh my God, this guy's a magician. You're right. He doesn't have that. But what he does have is he looks very good on stats, right? Because he has this sort of accumulated way of gathering offense. This is what I need folks to understand. Everyone is going to focus in on that submission defense. And to be clear, you might literally never see a fighter ever do what he did tonight. Those are the first two slash three now submission attempts. He had never had a submission attempt on him in the UFC until tonight. It was those three, and even those three couldn't put him away. I had people asking me in my live chat, you know, does this prove that jiu-jitsu doesn't work? I'm like, it proves the exact opposite, <laughs> right? Because if, it, if something doesn't work, not only can that person diffuse it, but they can teach others how to do it. Volkanovsky could spend the rest of his life trying to teach us three, and we would never have the kind of intestinal metal that that guy showed. So everyone's going to focus on that. But, dude, we should not lose sight of what we already knew to be true, the fact that this guy can do this to Aldo, to Holloway twice, to now Ortega, which is this game of fainting and movement and motion where they can get you to freeze or be confused. They land on you in one direction or the other, and then they are gone. And they do this because they never let you get your rhythm going ever. Dude. That is what the bleeding edge of fight minds are coming up with in the striking department right now. Those guys are ahead of the game in many ways. So, like, what's most impressive? Do the submission defenses otherworldly? But the shit we already knew, dude, they're going from contender to contender, and they have tons of tape on him, and they still cannot figure him out. That should tell you something. Mm. <coughs> I just Sorry. want to, that's okay, a bit of a COVID break. Hopefully everything's okay over there, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you haven't I been have, traveling uh, to Florida I full-blown AIDS, it turns out. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know if the horse tranquilizer helps, but we'll see what happens. Right. But, um, it's it's, it's big here in the yeah. United States, yeah, I hear. The horse hey, paste. <laughs> dude, I just want to quickly mention Brian Ortega as well, because I don't want to go away from the fact that he really put his heart on the line in this fight as well. I mean, so many other people would have given up at certain points in that fight, and he just kept going for it, kept going for it. And we saw that moment with Herb Dean where he's, like, asking mm. him if he can see, and he's just trying his best to get through that moment and come up with he how many... He failed it, clearly. He's I think the doctor was like, he can't see. Left, looking to the right, trying to find out. It's like us trying to cheat on a test back at Brighton secondary. Let me tell you, like, tell me, what did you think of what we saw from Biotega in this fight? I mean, it's not new. We've seen it before. But the heart on display and the toughness from Brian Ortega was something special as well. Yeah, I mean, in the in the Holloway fight, he was willing to continue to such a degree that he was a threat to himself, right? Like, they had to kind of call that on his behalf. Um, this one, he got close to it, but, you know, I'll say, man, that fifth-round push he had was exceptional. He had every reason to not do that. He had every reason to say, I've had enough. And who would have judged him for it? He took fucking 20 minutes of abuse in one level or the other, um, and especially in that third and fourth rounds, like... Those were tough rounds to, to get through, and he just kind of willed himself back. Plus, he was putting uh, uh, Volkanovski on his heels and was landing on him. Like, you know, to disassociate oneself in the moment from the pain and from the fatigue and from the he, – he had to know he was going to lose that fight and then to still go out there with that kind of ferocity. Again, dude, we're talking about a level of athletic character you just – you're not going to see very often. And I've been covering this sport – you know, longer than most. I, I can count on my hand the number of times I've seen something like that. On the flip side, I will say, though, between this one and the Holloway fight, you know, and he had both of those fights before 31, those are fucking damaging, man. Mm. Those are really, really damaging fights. 
And, you know, people are like, oh, we have to take some time off to heal, which is true. But, like, dude, do you want to sit out two, three? Think about it. If you sat out two years before and if he sits out a year now just to recover and whatever, maybe it's not that long, but it could be. You're going to lose three years of your career just recovering from beatings and everything. I mean, that's that's not an optimum use of your time. So for me, people are like, where does Ortega go from here? Dude, Ortega, because of his toughness and his skills, he is going to give literally anyone in that division problems. And you saw that tonight, right? He gave he gave Vol- Volkanovsky something to think about a few times. But the reality is he's also going to – it's going to be a very Pyrrhic victory en route to doing that. He's going to take a lot of abuse. If I was him, I wouldn't worry about changing weight classes or anything else. I'd take a step back, take some opponents you can beat, and work on all those little smaller details that will keep you healthier in fights that go longer against better opposition. I think if he works on that, you know, uh, by the time he is ready for, you know, whoever is the champion at that time, um, he'll have obviously healed. He'll have some good experience, and he'll have a fuller array of things that will. His offense keeps him in fights for the most part. It's his defense that's kind of pulling him out of it. And obviously, very talented fighters. Let's bridge some of those gaps, I think. Yeah, 100%. And shout out to Herb Dean for, you know, clearly stepping in when the doctor was about to stop the fight and just being like, no, 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 I haven't had enough of this. This is great. <laughs> this is good stuff. Keep going. Um, Ortega may not thank him in the next, you know, 10 to 20 years. Are you glad that now they've done Yair versus Max Holloway? Because, you know, Volko was getting pretty frustrated with it, saying, are they going to keep just giving him rematches until he wins again? And Holloway, and, you know, in a way, Ortega, you can both see them being in that Robert Whittaker territory where they just have to keep knocking out contenders or beating contenders to get the title shot. To your point about age, like, you know, depending on how long Ortega fights, it's hard to see, like, whether he will or won't get another title shot in the future if... uh, if Volkanovski or Holloway are champions. But are you happy that they've done Yair versus Holloway? So you've got this juicy fight in the division, and then I feel like regardless of who wins, people are going to be pretty happy to you know see a Yair or even Holloway get another fight with uh, Volkanovski. Do you think Volk fights in the meantime, or do you think he just waits for the winner? If I was him, I would wait. I mean, he took some abuse in this fight too, right? Mm-hmm. So if I was him, I would wait. Um, I don't... Holloway versus Rodriguez is going to be super fun. Like on that level, you have to be kind of like, I don't like fun to, to kind of be against it. And, you know, I'm sure people have accused me of not liking fun on a couple of occasions, but even I can look at this one and be like, that's a fun fight. And also the problem that Holloway is up against is one, Yair needs fights. But the other part is for Holloway, he has what, just the one win over Cater since losing to Volkanovski. It's not like an overwhelming resume. You could say, well, Ortega got one off the time off and then beating Chan Sung Jung and then he got a title shot. Right. But look what that got him. It just got him another beaten. Like, you know, we need meaningful, we need meaningful reasons to think a third time could or should be different. But I'll say this dude, you know, talking about a guy like Volkanovsky, you know, Aldo, uh, three rounds, Max, 10 rounds, Ortega, five rounds, so 18 rounds. These guys couldn't do shit. But now think about Max and uh, Volkanovsky as a united front. Right. So let's add up what they're doing to the division. Dude, look at what they did. Again, if we're, if we're talking about them as a united front, right? Look at what they did to Calvin Cater. Now look at what they did to the both of them, to Brian Ortega. Look at what they did to Jose Aldo. Like you can go like, look at down the list. Dude, they're sending people into other divisions and ICUs and historic beatings. Like, dude, they're fucking those guys up at 145 pounds. So I don't know what's going to happen against Yair, but let's assume it's something not quite on par with what Cater was because that was like a really bad one. But let's say, you know, dominating to the point where you're like, damn, dude, Max put it on him. You know, 
Like to me, the fact that I can point her to these other very dude, we're not talking about chumps. Ortega's not a chump. Calvin Cater's not a chump. Jose yeah. Aldo's not a none, none of these guys. They're very good fighters and they got worked. Like to me, dude, those are your two guys. And until they can figure out a way to settle it between them to like really, you know, stamp the supremacy on there, they're gonna have to run it back. We're not used to MMA to seeing guys fight four or five times. We may end up seeing that here. We'll see. That's crazy. And before you go, Dan, it's just a big props to Alex Volkanovsky, who even in the fifth round, even though he was clearly dominating that fight and had essentially already won, like he didn't, as John Anik say, he didn't, he wasn't averse to risk. He didn't mitigate the risk. He just kept going in there, kept fighting to the end of the bell. Granted, he was getting a little bit tired, but a massive show of respect that he didn't just coast for the last, you know, minute or so. Yeah, he's such an inspirational figure. And it's going to be interesting down the track as well, because he's spoken to us about wanting to move to lightweight one day and not too far away. So I wonder what that's going to look like if he does end up doing that. But for, for the and time- And now Connor's it, talking shit. So yeah, who knows? Who knows, man? Who knows? So there's a lot of stuff there to unpack in the future, but he definitely has that Max Holloway or Yair Rodriguez fight to look forward to next. Yeah, Luke, let's talk about Nick Diaz, man, because obviously we didn't even know if this fight was going to happen, to be honest. We found out that this fight's going up to middleweight. Then we see that interview with Brett Okamoto where you're trying to sort of decode, is this just- Nick Diaz being normal Nick Diaz, or is there another element to this on top of him being normal Nick Diaz where he actually doesn't want to fight? He mentions he doesn't want to fight, but then he says it's normal for him to feel like this. And then we go into the fight. We see the kind of shape that he's in. We see glimpses and little moments of the old Nick Diaz shine through. What did you make of Nick Diaz's return and what we saw in there from him against Robbie Lawler in this rematch? I, um, I, I, my timeline was all over the place. My timeline were was filled with people who were like, "Wow, man, that was great. That fight was so much better than it needed to be." You know, Nick showing um you know, they, they they didn't deny that Nick looked different, but like they were pretty happy with what they saw. And then I had the other half of my timeline being like, "That was a disgrace. Like that was sad. He should retire." And then I had people being like, "Yeah, it was a disgrace. He should retire." but I'm glad we saw him fight tonight. Like they were kind of all over the place. So really <laughs> wow. there's a lot of different takes. Yeah. I think there's a little bit of truth to kind of all of them. Like mm-hmm. there, we got to be honest and fair to Nick. There were definitely moments in that fight where he was throwing nice punches. The body work I thought was actually mm. really good. And he hit like what, five, six, seven punch combinations at the time. Like when he was flowing, he was, it looked good. But to your point, dude, like as an overall physical person, he did not look to be, I mean, we've definitely seen him in better shape than that, right? I mean, the guy fought Gomi at 160. He was a far cry from that tonight. And he looked like he was underwater for large parts of that fight, too. Um, Slow, very slow. And also, his power didn't carry up to 185. Like, obviously, he's not, like, a dominant puncher in that way. But you would have thought there'd be some bump. Like, because Lawler is long in the tooth, and he's shop-worn. And it didn't have, like, dude, he couldn't get Lawler off of him. I mean, just think about that for a second. Like, Lawler was in his face because he could be. Um, You know, that's not great. So, for me, it's like, I think between the six and a half years off, you know, there's Jake Shields, I think, I I didn't see it, but someone told me he was saying that, you know, he only had six weeks to train. I don't know what the reasons for that might be, but let's assume for a second that's true. Dude, your first fight back, like, people are like, oh, ring rust isn't real. Um, It is pretty real. Not for everyone all the time, but you know, uh, for most fighters, most of the time. And this was a pretty clear cut case. I think he showed you enough that if they make him go back to 170 and there's an opponent that makes sense for everybody, which is a huge if, 
Um, sure, I think there's probably a few fights they could maybe make. I think you could do a Masvidal fight at 170. That's pretty good, actually. That's a great fight. Um, I wonder if you'd be interested. But at 185, no thank great you. Great fight like, is in competitive or, or, or just no thank you. Or, you said it's a great fight as in competitive. Sorry to cut in there, Dennis. Um, I think there's reasons to think it could be competitive. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's that's reaching. That's reaching. I recognize, but <laughs> I, here's the problem. I'm just lost a little bit in like what we saw how much of what we saw is permanent right like how much of what we saw is just there's nothing you can really do about that and then how much of that was like well what you got was something that really you know it's a fixer-upper you know it is gonna it's gonna be what it's gonna be but there's definitely some ways to make it a lot better i guess i'm taking the more fixer-upper approach but you're right maybe maybe that that there's all that is what we saw no but i mean you you bring up a good point and that is everyone is still trying to decode if what we saw today was how much of it was, you know, the punishment that Nick's gone through with everything that he's been up to in the last six years, with all the punishment that he's taken in the past, how much of it is him actually naturally slowing down? And how much of it was the fact that he was out of shape? Because the style that he has, you have to be in incredible shape to be able to fight a Nick Diaz fight, to throw the output that he usually throws, to be able to move around for that long. I just find it like an interest I just find it interesting how the guy's in shape doing all these triathlons without the fight, but then when the fight comes along, He's in terrible, not in terrible shape, but he's not in the shape that we saw him in the photos leading into this fight when all the hype was coming up and all the buildup was coming up. I wonder, like, how much of that do you think is also mentally him maybe not trying to make excuses, but maybe going into this fight, not quite sure if he wants to be there and maybe not really preparing 100%. So there is that kind of topic to talk about, which is, hey, well, he wasn't in shape. So, you know, if he lost the fight, but... He wasn't in shape, so it wasn't 100%. So maybe there's that kind of escape door around the side. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of times guys will have excuses in the middle of camp knowing that when things go poorly, they can just reference that. Oh, I, I had this issue. I had that like issue. The middle weight, the mid, let's be honest. The middleweight thing, like that was right. a red flag, right? Like we're in fight Super week. Super red flag. And it's almost like, does this guy want maybe the fight not to happen? Like is this – you know what I mean? Like not saying that he – this is a guy that would never be scared of anyone. And he's one of the toughest dudes out there, but <clears throat> just the mental game has gone into it for him. And Nate kind of had yeah. that against Leon where he's like, I had a knee, knee injury weeks ago and I just stopped training afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And the Diaz brothers are sort of famous for never pulling out for injury, even if they maybe mm -hmm. should have. But the thing for me that was missing here was again, like, is he a fixer up or is this all baked in? We'll never know. But one thing that was missing was I don't begrudge him quitting like that at the end. Like, dude, if you don't want to take any more mm -hmm. abuse, don't. Like I'm not, I'm not one of these guys who thinks oh, I could. Blah, 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 blah. I've tried my hand <laughs> yeah. at this. It's fucking hard, and I don't. You know what I mean? Like these guys, Nick Diaz has to prove he's tough to who? What what asshole is demanding evidence of this? Like fuck him. I don't care about him. You know. So Nick Nick to me has proved it. Like and at this point, like if you don't want to do it, don't. But the thing that I did notice was I don't think he would have done this in his twenties. Number one, mm. and number two, the other part about it is. Even when he was on the losing end of things in certain fights or whatever, there was a certain kind of antagonistic ferocity about it all. I didn't see that at all tonight. I mean, I saw zero evidence of that. I did not see the guy who was like, what's up? You know what I mean? Like, Argh. there's a certain kind of grit and uh, grime to the whole thing. This was, to me, a guy who I think was overwhelmed a little bit by the yeah. size and spectacle of it all. He looked to me like he was feeling it a little bit. Will he do that the second time? I guess time will only tell, but he definitely was wearing it tonight for in a lot of different ways. I think it will be interesting to see what happens with him next. I think 
I think Dana White would still consider obviously bringing him back. But I think someone like a Cowboys Cerrone could be a fun fight for him if he can make the weight. Or maybe, I don't know what's happening with Tony Ferguson. And we know, who knows, maybe the weight cut for Ferguson is a bit too much. Mm-hmm. So a welterweight fight there. But I definitely wouldn't want to see him going up against anyone that's uh, that's an up-and-comer or anything like that. We know the UFC has had a history of doing that with legends. <laughs> and- Kamaru you imagine Usman? the Shemaev? <laughs> Shemaev, if that fight happened? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I'm a, I'm yeah, I wouldn't want to see Shemaev fight him either. No. No, like Dan Hardy before uh, we did the previous show with Dan Hardy and he was like, I just hope no one gets hurt in this one. And I was like, well, we're not saying that against Volkanovski or Tager, are we, Dan? So it kind of says a lot about it. And like, you know, those first few seconds where he threw that, you know, spinning kick, I was like, fuck, Oof. dude, this, this is going to be like Evander Holyfield, but way, way worse. And then he, and then yeah. he surprised. Yeah. And then he, there was glints of deer. I was like, oh my yes. God, he won the first round. What's going on here? Anything's when he, when he was, now. when he was ripping to the body and then flowing. Yeah. As Robbie was covering up here, he, dude, he, I'm saying like, there was enough there to be like, okay, can we, can we, the question, the question we have and the question he has to ask himself is, can you take that and polish that? If you can take that and polish that, if you can build on that a little bit, again, with, you know, Cerrone as the opponent or whatever, you're not going too crazy, but can you build on that? There might be something left in this last chapter, but dude, we're talking about a handful of fights. If that, you know, Mm. I guess, and even like, there's nothing wrong with the way that he he you know finished that fight. You can call it quit or whatever. But I just get this distinct sense that he just doesn't have the motivation that he used to. From the fight week interviews to the way it ended to like you you said the lack of ferocity. I just think this is a DS who just doesn't have the same motivation, and that's okay. But I think if he doesn't have it, I'd kind of rather not see him anymore in there than than to see him and you know as Dan said, potentially somebody getting hurt. Uh, but speaking of hurt, I can't tell you how much it hurt me to cruise down the cereal aisles for the last however many years, looking at all the delicious cereals from my childhood, the favorite ones that I couldn't have anymore because of all the crap and the sugar and the calories in them. Enter the good friends at Magic Spoon, giving you, let's have a look, the high protein, keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free, wheat free, naturally flavored, totally delicious, childlike cereal for grown-ups. You can live the Jerry Seinfeld lifestyle in 2021, live uh, and eat cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and not worry about the calories. Magic Spoon, making it delicious, making it a lot healthier. Isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, man. Why does Conor McGregor need a dietitian? Just eat Magic Spoon before your fights and make weight easily. Zero grams of sugar, 14 grams of protein, only four net grams of carbs and each serving only 140 calories you guys could click the link below to grab a variety pack and try it today and be sure to use the promo code submission to get five dollars off any order that's magicspoon.com forward slash submission or the link below yeah, that's right. While you are saving some money and changing your life, obviously here at UFC 266, we saw a lot of awesome fights, a lot of fight of the night contenders, Marab versus uh, Marias, obviously Volkanovski versus Ortega, Diaz versus Lawler, a lot of blood shed, but you don't want your balls looking like that. So next time you're using your old rusty razor that you have hanging in the shower for God knows how many weeks or months, switch to the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 with the skin safe technology. It won't cut you. It's got an uh, 7,000 RPM mode. It's got the LED light so you can see exactly what you're doing. It's waterproof so you can do it in the shower nice and quick. Nobody wants to spend all day shaving their beans. Official sponsor of the UFC so you know you're in good company. And the Performance Package 4.0 comes with everything to make you the best man you can possibly be. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer itself, the Weird Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, the Crop Reviver Toner, and the Performance Boxer Briefs. Oh, and they give you the Shed Travel Bag to hold all your goodies. 
Uh, have the best balls in town, isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, man. And get that discount with the code word submission, 20% off and free shipping. Get it in your life today. Change your life forever with Manscaped and use that code word submission for 20% off and free shipping. That's right. Before we let you go, Luke, uh, I just want to take a second to show some appreciation for Dan Hooker and Nazareth Hakparest. Dude, what did you think of, I guess, the performance that both of these guys put on, especially Dan, after the craziness that they had been through? And obviously Dan's showing new wrinkles with the wrestling. Dan's an incredible guy, man. Dan's um, Dan's a different one. I remember what, I remember after Dan's fight with Edson Barboza, there was a lot of criticism about that fight continuing when it didn't need to. And I still think it should have been stopped before it was stopped. But um, I remember asking him about it. And I don't know why I wasn't expecting his answer, but I wasn't expecting his answer, which was, he's like, no, see, what you don't understand is I was hit all over. Like, so I was hitting the head, I was hitting the ribs, I was hitting the spine and legs. And he's like, so the, 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 the distribution of punishment was even all over. Don't worry about my brain. I'm like, I don't think it works like that, but that is That's a that very- That's that dry Kiwi humor. It trips people up. They don't know how to handle it. Yeah, it's sweet ass. I, I, he, maybe he was joking. Maybe he wasn't. Like, part of me feels he like was. he may have not been, you know? He No, he uh, was. That's dry. It's, it's the driest humor in the world. Eugene yep, Berriman's cool. the same. You don't you don't know half the time. Look, my girlfriend's a Kiwi, and I don't know what she's saying to me half of the time. I'm like, <laughs> she's really mean. You know, saying, you know, a real man. But then maybe she's <laughs> joking. You ever heard John Oliver <laughs> make fun of Kiwis for saying Eminem? Eminem. Instead of a bear. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, um, uh, either way, he has a certain otherworldly toughness and commitment that is that is just truly extraordinary. Honestly, like in some ways what you saw with him and, and hack press, by the way, who had his own whole set of issues to go through what he did, um, you know, is, is just a level of professional resilience. You just won't see in boxing at the same time though, if you had two sort of like high level boxers like that, they would never do this anyway, because they would have more control over the booking and matchmaking process in all likelihood to avoid a scenario like this. So on the one hand, like they're able to do these incredible things, on the other hand, maybe they shouldn't have to. It's very simple to say that. But, um, yes, Dan Hooker, to your point about the extra wrinkles in his game, he needed to. He needed to. He needed to after two losses in a row. It wasn't like the things that the, the wrestling was like the reason he didn't win. But as he adds these wrinkles to his game, as he begins to build on some of his things and also polish up some of his defensive liabilities, it's going to only make him more of a threat. I mean, think about something with Adesanya, dude. Now, he's the champion. He gets away with it. But, like, if he had to take a fight to the ground and he that was the way he had to win, could he do it? Maybe. I don't know. But we really don't have a whole lot of evidence to suggest that that would be um, all that likely. You know, uh, Dan doesn't have some of those same luxuries, perhaps, in, in some of the ways that, that Adesanya does. But figuring out other ways to pursue an MMA fight to win that way, dude, that can only benefit you, especially for a guy who's on a two-fight losing skid. So... Dan Hooker, man, can't say enough incredible things about a very, very special guy. Yeah, and working out of his garage, kicked out of the gym, and still being able to go out there and show us that performance. And a quick shout out to Andre Paulette Wrestling, uh, the guy that obviously works very closely with Dan at a City Kickboxing that helped prepare him for this fight and, and the great team over there. I know they're, they're planning on moving over to the States, so I think that's going to be very interesting to see if these guys can have more frequent fights because I think the fans really want to see it. Luke, last question. We'll let you go. Valentina Shevchenko, what did you make of the big win and what do you think is next for her? I didn't really have a whole lot to say about this on my post-fight show, mm. gentlemen. I, because I, you it was know, as expected, right? 
you know, Lauren Murphy landed 11 significant strikes in the whole fight. Um, here's the thing. This is the best I think I can say. Number one, you know, folks are asking me like, well, because I, I was saying like Lauren Murphy's a good fighter. Folks are like, well, if she's so good, why is she so overmatched? I'm like, well, dude, you know, Dustin Poirier is real good. Didn't have much of a shot against Habib. Like it didn't matter. Now that comparison falls apart in certain ways, but it just sort of illustrates if you've got somebody who's like generationally special, it doesn't matter if you have somebody very good that there's a there's a wide gap between them. So, um, you know, she, but Lauren Murphy was a champion in Invicta and was on a five fight win streak. Like. Here's the best way to understand this. People are like, oh, they're just feeding her cans. No, they're feeding her who they're supposed to be feeding her. Dude, if you're the champion of a weight class, you have a responsibility to defend it at a reasonable amount of times annually. You 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 owe that to the contenders. And that doesn't mean, you know, just because the contender isn't someone you think will be the most interesting or the most fun or even the most challenging necessarily, like the best matchup for the best financial or fan entertainment reasons, you do it to the give it to the person who is the most deserving. That's why they have mandatories in boxing. The Usyk fight against Anthony. Joshua was a mandatory dude this was a mandatory that doesn't mean it was the most competitive one on paper we knew it wasn't going to be that competitive probably in all likelihood but it doesn't matter that what matters is that Lauren Murphy had earned it and Valentina Shevchenko had a responsibility to defend it and you got what you got but um, the criticism about the matchmaking or about Murphy being somebody she's not I really I really reject that it's not fair to the process this is just what the process looks like when you've got somebody really special and yes a, a weight class that could probably be a little bit deeper yeah, 100%. We'll let you go to bed, Luke. Shout out to um, Marab Dwalishvili for an amazing, amazing comeback against Marlon Moraes. Um, some fantastic treats at UFC mm -hmm. 266. Follow the man on Twitter at L Thomas News. Follow Morning Combat. The stuff that you and Brian are doing is just amazing. Love you guys. You guys are the best. Uh, Morning Combat every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern. For all the Aussies, it is 1 a.m. on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday nights here in Australia. Uh, Prime time. Combat. Prime <laughs> time. But hey, man, like I used to be a night out all my life, so there's a lot of people tuning in live. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. It's probably like, I don't know, some ridiculous time where you are, Luke. Much appreciated, man. Have a good sleep. Thanks, boys. Appreciate you.